0: Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.
1: I am so glad to be here. You know, I love this church, you guys, and it ain't hard to love a church that's really doing stuff for people. I got to tell you, I ran into somebody in Walgreens in Uptown the other day, Uh and I was just going down the aisle, getting some laundry soap. And all of a sudden I hear First Universalist. I love First Universalist, some random dude. And I don't know who he was because he had a mask on and a cap and sunglasses inside the store. So I had no idea who this was. And I said, I love you, too. And then some other person came alongside this other dude and said, hey, is that that church down on DuPont? I said, yes. He says, is it any good? (laughs) I said. Like I was thinking, we're not a bagel, are we any good? Of course we're good. I said, we're great. I said, you should come by, I'm preaching on Sunday. He says, well, maybe I will. So Mike, I'm gonna look to see if you're in the attendance record and um, hello to you if you are there. So it's really great to be here and I'm so proud of this church and all that we do.
0: Please join me in saying the words for lighting our chalice. Love is the
1: spirit of this church and service is its its law. law.
0: This is our great covenant, covenant. to dwell together together in peace, peace, to to seek the truth in love,
1: and and to help one one another. another. wee Happy.
2: In a little village near Jerusalem, a long time ago, there was an old woman who didn't have much money. She grew her own fruits and vegetables and had a chicken that gave her eggs one day, she was walking down the road when she saw two copper pieces on the ground. They looked like pennies, but put together they were worth even less than one penny. She put them in her pocket and said, I'll buy a piece of bread with this. Now a few days later, she heard from her neighbors that a teacher named Jesus would be speaking in a worship service at a nearby temple. She thought it might be interesting to go to the service and listen to this teacher. When she got to the temple, many people had gathered to hear Jesus. Some people she recognized and some she didn't know at all. Some said hello to the old woman and a man moved over so she could sit on a bench with him and his family. At the service, she prayed and listened to Jesus speak. She found herself feeling full of love and wonder. There came a part of the service when Jesus asked people to donate money to support his ministry. There were people who were very rich and they donated a lot of money. The old woman reached into her pocket and found the two copper pieces. The only money she had in the whole world. She walked up to the donation box and put in one of the pieces. Half of all of the money she had. Jesus saw the old woman put her coin in the box, and he knew what she had shared. He told the people assembled that her gift was more special than any of the gifts given by the rich people there. She had given half of all the money she had. Jesus encouraged people to be generous always. To be generous not only with money, but also be generous with their hearts. fact is just another ordinary day
0: no libra sun no halloween no giving thanks to all the christmas joy you bring but what
2: Feel your heart like no three words could ever do. I just called to say say I love you.
0: you. I just called to say how much
2: I care I do.
0: I I just
2: called called to say. say Oh wow.
0: Oh, my goodness, choir. Y'all got to warn me when you're going to make me cry like that. I hope you all are taking in right now all of the love that you are receiving. Friends, will you pray with me? Dear God, Holy One, you wouldn't know it from all the clouds that have been around this week, but I swear that there is a light at the end of this tunnel, and I can see it. We are getting a glimpse of it this morning. Of course, you already knew that. You already knew that, didn't you, being the source of radiance and the creative spark that animates and endows our lives, but for real, you can feel it. The light is there, we are moving toward it. And even if we're not, you know what? Let us have this moment. Let us have this moment. Let us enjoy this spring of our hearts, this seeming pause in the endless bad news about the pandemic. But God, God, can we talk a minute about all the shootings lately? Why is it exactly, why is it exactly that when you made us in your image, you saw fit to copy that part? Why another mass shooting, another one, not a week after Atlanta, then Boulder, earlier this week, Philly. We mourn their deaths. We mourn their deaths in Boulder and in Philadelphia And the list feels like it never ends. We raise an eyebrow at the fact that the light-skinned shooters were non-violently taken into custody, but we will talk about that later. We are grateful. We are grateful that it wasn't worse. And our hearts recoil at the fact that we can even make such a statement that we are so inured to this everyday violence. We have seen so much of it that we can think in the silence of our hearts, thank God more people weren't killed. Thank God more people weren't injured because we have seen that story too. God, I know that you work through us. I know that you work through us that maybe you're not so much in the grand miracle business anymore, saving your work for the small and daily miracles that sustain us, but how about an exception. How about one grand gesture, how about guns into plowshares that could be used to cultivate the stolen land under our feet, a miracle that might help us to tend and repair this world. I know that there is so much healing happening in this world right now. But there is also so much violence and it needs to end. You know, Janana Petrus says to give the cops to the grandmothers and she's right about that, I think, but how about all of it, God? The banks and the bureau of apartment vacancies, the grocery stores and the playgrounds, the taco trucks, the dental clinics, grandmothers are smart. They've survived and they have a great track record for not engaging in mass shootings. I don't know if they want the job, but perhaps God, you could inquire. There are so many things that we carry in our hearts when we come together for worship, so many things. We know that grief and that joy are woven fine There is so much that is moving. So much that is moving in this, in this church, in this congregation, in our lives. You can feel that web of connection. You can feel the sharing, the holding the carrying together. Before we close, dear God, by which I mean goddess, by which I mean goddesses, by which I mean all of that great mystery on which we are wholly reliant, which we cannot live without, let us take our hearts, open and running freely with the energy of prayer. Let us take our hearts and let them move into a gesture of prayer a gesture of gratitude, a gesture of, I recognize and bow to the divine light in you and me and all the world. Let us weave this magic into a mirror of joy and gratitude. Lenses that show us all the good in the world even when things are hard let us fill up with a way of perceiving that inclines our hearts to joy and gratitude so that we might be fortified again for the week ahead. May the grip of addiction be loosened. May the weight of oppression be lightened. May joy break through and may love make every suffering bearable for us all. May it be so and amen.
1: Hello. It's good to see you all. It starts with those 12 inches between the newborn and their mother's eyes. No words needed. And that baby knows that mama is here and mama cares. It starts with curiosity when a single tear streams slowly down a cheek. You tilt your head and extend a box of tissues. It starts with a conversation, a story, a memory, a regret. And then the silence of the here and now comes in and connects you with another and another with you. An arm outstretched, legs and feet that lean in, soft eyes that won't look away, the words I hear you. This is what care looks like. A head looks up. A hand reaches to clasp yours. Our muscle memory reminds us that hugs feel good. This is what care feels like. Caring is an embodied act. It stirs within us, in families. It flutters around us in community. It spreads and creates common concerns, and it catches hold of us when we least expect it. Caring is a verb whose signals are buried deep within our DNA. Like a female born human who has all of the eggs she will ever have, and all of the children that she will ever bear within those eggs. We too are born with all sorts of caring possibilities to connect us to ourselves and to others. Care is an essential component of the human experience. From the Australopithecines onward, care is one of the most compelling features of being a conscious being. Long before we humans domesticated plants and animals, our ancestors kept their elders alive through free love and care. Now, there's a lot of really solid, interesting evidence that the Neanderthals cared for elders who were of no economic benefit to the group. Our ancestors incurred such costs freely and easily out of sheer empathy. But also because elders are precious sources of love and stories. And frankly, you know, older people are just more fun than anybody. Care can be understood in lots of ways, friends. It can be seen as a social responsibility, it can be understood as meaningful work, it can be seen as simply an expression of interpersonal relationships or obligations rooted in biology or culture. Yet a single definition of care is elusive because care is not a set of values or behaviors that can be considered universal or codified. Care is a complex, ambiguous, and polysemous concept. Now, semantically, we see in English, there are typical ways we use the term to care for, to take care of, to care about, For each of these, we have an image, a feeling, a place, circumstance that we associate it with care. I care for my children when I cuddle and bathe them. I care about voting in Georgia. I care about our elders in the church because they need us as they age. Care can be also kind of ambivalent and to some degree it can be very fuzzy because it goes along with not at least because we live in a world of evolving and contextual human behavior. Now the standards and expectations of how we should care for a child in an Irish immigrant family at the turn of the last century is significantly different for the descendants of that Irish family that has risen to the upper middle class today. Think about it, braces. I don't know about you older folks but everybody didn't get braces back then because our teeth were just a little bit crooked we just had crooked teeth but now if you care for your children no matter what economic straits they're in if you care for your children you get them braces so that they'll have perfect teeth by the time they're teenagers standards of care have changed caring about community at the end of world war ii might have at its epicenter, a neighborhood church, and that majority of the people went there on Sunday and participated in the life of the church. But with fewer and fewer people in most Protestant and mainline congregations going to traditional church, care may now be reflected in how many likes one has on TikTok or Facebook or on your caring bridge. Multiple meanings and multiple contexts across multiple cultural landscapes make the ethics and normative notions of care complex. We often find ourselves making snap judgments about people because of how they appear to be caring or not caring in our eyes. I'll give you an example. Aspen is biracial. That's my kid, my six-year-old, my middle child. Aspen's now not in an all white school, but she's in a a all people of color school. I'm teaching Aspen now how black folks show love with certain style and language and rhythm of speech. Now to some white people who hear this, it sounds angry, it sounds difficult, it sounds harsh, but to us, and she's learning the beauty of it, but to us, it sounds loving. It sounds needed, life-giving, and it's caring. To understand care is to have humility about its many forms and manifestations and shapes in different cultures. Now friends, at the core of what makes us human can seem rather bleak in these times of humanitarian crisis as Arif pointed out in his prayer, that we have so many human crisis right now speaks to the terrifying violence callousness and ignorance we humans are capable of but there's also something simultaneously that is deeply precious about our unique ability to summon that part of us that deep dna part of us that still cares as we run to save strangers in a supermarket from gunfire in colorado altruism cooperation and caring for the vulnerable is what made our species unique. It is empathy and cooperation, not self-interest and competition. Our evolutionary history is one of collective child rearing, cooperative hunting and gathering, caring for the sick and freely sharing information. But friends, where did we go wrong? How did we venture so far astray from the good values of our hunter-gatherer cousins? Could it be then that the Machiavellian tendencies that so many evolutionary psychologists believe are at the heart of our nature are the recent byproduct of an increasingly divided, competitive, polarized society? How did we get here? with such standardized precision, such lack of empathy in the public square. One way to tackle this question is to examine how intuitive cooperation gives rise. Now wait with me now, how intuitive cooperation gives rise to a certain type of conformity and rule following. Even when the rules are not made explicit. This is one of the most basic forms of pro-social behavior universally found among humans. Now, I want you to consider the following scenario. All right, imagine you're sitting on a crowded subway and notice that there's a pregnant woman who's standing by the door. Every part of you is acting and aching to get up and offer her your seat. Deep empathy But everyone on the train is looking down at their mobile phones and blocking off the social world around them with their headphones and you find yourself somehow too shy to offer help. You leave the train filled with shame and that you didn't didn't do it and you soon forget about the situation. But your basic empathic abilities in this case are translated into a pro-social urge to enforce local dorms. People don't interfere with other people, particularly if the person is five steps away, not right there, a different color, looks angry. This is what I call shallow empathy. We have all experienced this. We experienced it with tears and horror when we saw a few years ago a picture of that dead Syrian child washed ashore on a Turkish beach In the midst of September, I think it was September 2015, during that refugee crisis, we desperately wanted to help, but soon we felt too shy or insignificant. Some of us shared a picture on social media, or we wept a little more. Some of us donated money here and there, but soon we all move on to the next Facebook post of vegan meals and cats and cars, whatever. We resume our ignorant bliss sometimes, as usual. I know I do. What will it take to break out of this hypnotic pull of rule-governed shallow empathy that makes us keep our eyes straight ahead at the red light because you don't wanna look to the sign of this homeless person asking for food? What will it take? While talk of human love and agape is great. Believe me, I believe in love. I believe in all that stuff. I believe we would still do better people, balancing love with morality and character and ethics, words we don't use enough. I believe that this is best exemplified in Confucianism and Taoist traditions They're really good at taking these things on. There's this neuroscientist, um, Francisco Valeria, and he's also a philosopher, which I think is a great combination. And he argues that this can be broken down to cognitive scientific terms. In the Confucian and Taoist world and many African philosophical writings, the practice of wisdom of human essence is at the core of empathic impulses. The sage does not rely on abstract Western cultural normative rules when it comes to caring. Instead, the sage trusts their intuition to act virtuously according to the minute particulars and details of each human situation that calls for care, acting friends as a, as a community, as a congregation, as a voluntary collection of souls who have chosen to be together and respond virtuously to particular, detailed, nuanced situations of each other, we are putting flesh on words. We are working it out. We are building up community muscle. We are creating a chorus of love, a melody of concern, and we are doing church. We do healing caring here. Now healing is not curing. Healing can happen when a care companion invites you to write that letter to your dead mother and say the things that you meant to say when she was alive. Your healing comes when you go for a walk with your care companion and they encourage you to mail that letter to a non-existent unknown or long gone address and you do it. Caring is restoring wholeness that someone believes they want. Wholeness they believe they want by co-creating space for it to happen. We do sustained care here in this church. When someone is hurting and they need to endure and transcend a circumstance in which restoration to their former self is impossible, unlikely, and remote, we are there to help adjust and sustain or to say goodbye. We do guiding care here. When we sit with a church person who's making a big choice but they're not confident enough to make it alone. So we sit and talk it out and explore alternative courses of thought and action without judgment, without fixing, just a conversation. We do reconciling care in this church. A care companion can support you on your journey to reestablish a broken relationship between old friends or broken relationships with your own spirit, with an institution, with God. We do nurturing caring in this church, enabling people to develop their potential throughout their lives terrain with all the peaks, valleys and plateaus that create the human landscape. So friends, let's take a look and see what our caring ministries really do in this church. Hi. First Universalist does a lot. Not only do we have prophetic preaching from the pulpit on Sunday, but throughout the week and throughout the year, we have ministries that care. In fact, we call them We Care Ministries. And we do all kinds of things to reach out and help our community hold on and sustain their lives in all kinds of situations and ways. For instance, hey, my wife just had surgery and uh, I don't know how I'm going to eat. You know, I'm a terrible cook and I hate the microwave stuff. So uh, is there anything the church could do to help me out? You know, we have meal trains and they deliver the food right to your house. Really? Yeah, good food, too. Oh, so people in the church volunteer to cook the food and bring it to us? Yeah. All right. Great. Well, I'm up for that because, you know, I'm sick of these pizza puffs. Thanks. Another thing that's a possibility for us is I need to get to the doctor and I don't understand Uber or Lyft. It sounds scary to me. I want somebody that could take me to the doctor who I know. Does anybody in the church, can anyone in the church help me? Absolutely. We care about that and we can help with rides. Glad to make it work. All right. Great. Glad to hear that. And for some folks, it's really tough because people are going through hard times in our houses and we don't always know what to do. Hey, like I'm a a teenager calling you guys and like my, my dad is like really super sad because like his mom died and I don't know what to say to him, and he's like in his room crying. I know he's crying, but he won't let me see. So it's like anything that church can do, like send him something. I don't know. We can send uh, cards and we can send one a week, or we can text him little emojis to perk him up, know we're thinking about him. Yeah. That's good. He just started texting, so I think he'll be into those emojis. He even has an avatar of himself, so I think that'll be cool. That's great. Thanks. And sometimes grief and love come in many different forms. Sometimes you just need to be reminded that if you're living in isolation, that somebody loves you, I need that right now, because I've been alone since COVID started. And is there anything the church could do to send me or tell me or do something for me?
2: Absolutely. We have love kits and grief kits that include wonderful shawls and candles and other items that can be delivered to whoever you know, to yourself or someone you know
1: that needs just that little extra touch from the church. We want to share our love. That sounds good. I think I'd like that. That'd be terrific. These are just some of the ministries that we have in the church and and there are more that are coming for families and as we think about needs and as we grow as a community of care. We may have all kinds of other things that we may be offering people simple things loving things elegant things simple caring gestures that mean that we are a we. And these two folks right here are part of a group called the Care Companions. Yeah, it's a cool kids group, you can see. But this Care Companions group, they do something very special. They accompany people who need to have someone to check in on them regularly, to give a call in the post-pandemic days ahead, to take a walk with them, sit with them, to hold a hand, and to listen. Hey, Hannah, what's it like for you to be a Care Companion?
2: You know, I'm so talkative, but I'm learning just to listen. Yes. Yeah, and I care. And because I care,
1: I'm I'm listening. How many people need someone to listen to them? All of us. What's it like for you, Jane? It is absolutely an amazing gift to be able to travel with someone on their journey, to be part of that active learning. Um,
2: listening, to get to know them and to be able to take walks together or whatever is needed to work with that person.
1: That's great. And I want you to know too, if you need a care companion, not only are these folks available, but there are others in our group that are also available to spend that kind of time with you. Right now, we're doing it on Zoom and on the phone and via texting, but later on, we'll be seeing you in person, we know. And we want you to know if you're interested in being a care companion, taking that journey with somebody, giving back to your church community through service, we certainly invite you to join us. And there's a training program that I'll be leading in the spring, in the summer, and we're gonna add to our ranks. And this is not just a generational thing for people with white hair. Remember that now, if you have other kinds of hair or no hair at all, you're welcome as well. So we want people from all generations in the church to be care companions to one another because that student that's having a tough time in college needs a care companion just like that 86-year-old who's facing time in hospice ahead. So reach out and know that we're available. So that's it for now. Remember we care. We We care. care.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at First Universalist